Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? What a, what a wonderful time of worship. I don't know about you, but I love this time of year. For the most part, I love the, the cooling weather. But I've got to be honest, Dana and I have been walking around going, oh, no, it's starting to get dark earlier. Anybody else feel like that? I'm like, oh, it's just something about light. And, and, and the, the light is fading this time of year. I mean, I know technically that's not correct, um, but you know what I'm saying. It, it's, it's just the, the fading of the light starts to bring in a sense of, of sadness or darkness. And, and that metaphorically speaking is what we see in the scriptures, exactly what's going on in this text, that there's a, a fading of the Lord's light. In the scriptures, light is uh, oftentimes used as metaphor for God's holiness. Uh, God's word brings light. Uh, in scriptures, we see the light shines on darkness, and darkness doesn't like it. It reveals sin, but it also is the dawning of the new day. It's, uh, it's the, the raising of the light brings uh, a sense of hope, a sense of the Lord's uh, hope and presence and his holiness. And, and all throughout scriptures, we see that that light metaphor is used for God's presence that is shining when people obey God's word, and the word, which is called the lamp of God, the lamp unto our feet, and so you see all this imagery that is built in. I've got this string that's going to haunt me this whole service. And if I pull it, I just noticed it. my button's going to fall off. Let's try it. Okay, we made it. So uh, last week, though, we saw how unfaithful this high priest Eli has been. Now, Eli should be the lamp, a human, as much as a human can be, should be the lamp unto God's people bringing in the presence of God and interceding. That's what the priests did. When, when Israel came to the mountain at Sinai, uh, back in Exodus, they were afraid to be in the presence of God because of his presence was so powerful in this, this storm that was on the mountain. And so they asked for an intercessor and God graciously gave them Moses. And Moses was this intercessor. He is this prophet-like figure, this priestly figure. And we see now that this Eli should be the priest who is the intercessor between God and man. And, and his role was to keep the lamp in God's place of worship burning and keep it eternally burning before the presence of God's people. And yet we see how horrendously he is sinning and really his sons were sinning and he was complicit in it and allowing this to continue. And we're going to see in the weeks ahead, just how much he actually was complicit. But they were physically taking the meat sacrificed to God, but we see that there was a, 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 the word like honor and worship. They were prideful, sinful in the priesthood, taking God's glory and God's honor for themselves. And, and, and what did God do in response? It said in the text that he sent an unnamed man to bring the word of judgment against them. They knew exactly what they were supposed to do. They had the Torah or the first five books of their Bible. They knew God's word and they had been instructed on how to live. And yet in their pride, they refused. And so God sent the word of judgment, but it had to come through some unnamed man. It was like this, this sense is created in the text of there is no man of God. There is no prophet. There is no faithful prophet of God. There is no faithful priest. There is no one 
who can bring the word of God to this situation? And it's, it's really a sad situation. In fact, that's what we see in the opening of our text. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. And in the very opening sentence, there's a, a verse that sets the setting or sets the scene for us, gives us a little background. And it says in chapter 3, verse 1, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And so the description that we hear the author providing for us provides this background for the scene that is about to unfold with Samuel. But it also describes a time that is similar to, I'm creating layers here, I want you to see these layers, that in Samuel's day, the author tells us the word of the Lord was rare. But we also know that when the Bible was, this Hebrew Bible was shaped and put together and given, it was given to a little faithful remnant that was trying to be faithful in the midst of very similar days, very dark days, days after the events we read about in this book where the kingdom of David was this monarch and it was beautiful and it was hopeful and then it crumbled because of sin and it grew dark and dim. And so afterwards they were exiled out of the promised land and it was very similar to this scene. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. And so what we have is this people trying to be faithful in very spiritually dark days, and they need hope. They need a word from the Lord. They need a light to shine in this darkness to give them hope. They need the day to dawn again. And that's what Samuel does, First and Second Samuel does for Israel, and that's what the Bible does for us. This is another layer that, that we're going to see that we live in similarly dark days. They were waiting for the first coming of the Messiah that was promised to Abraham. This world around them was crumbling. All hope was lost, apparently, they felt like. And then God graciously provides their Bible, the Hebrew Bible, that says not all hope is lost. The Messiah is still coming. And then the New Testament is added to that and is given to us to say Christ came and we are waiting for his return and we're living in a spiritually dark place, working in environments like Eli or like Samuel where we look around and it just seems like sin is running rampant. And if, if we're not careful, we get to where we want to lose hope. And we're like, we need hope. And what we're going to see today is God graciously provides hope. And it's through his word. His word on so many levels. His word, the Bible. His word made flesh, which is Jesus. And so that's how you read your Bible. I want to help you understand how to read your Bible today. We're in a passage, and we'll find this a lot in Samuel, where there is no direct mention. Last week, we had the blessing of that one verse that said, where will we find an intercessor? And it's clearly directly saying, look for one, and his name is Jesus. Where will we find a priest? And we look for one, and his name is Jesus. Sometimes we come to a passage, and there's not a direct 
mention of it. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to write these two questions down very simply. Every time we read Samuel, every time you go home and you read your Bible and you're reading Samuel, ask these two questions. How does, number one, how does this encourage me to trust in Jesus? How does this encourage me to trust in Jesus? That's something you should ask every time. That's the larger picture of the Bible because that's the ultimate goal. Trust in Jesus. Jesus in Luke says, all the Old Testament was about me. And you go, what? Every text says, trust in Jesus. Now, sometimes it takes a little work. We're gonna help you learn how to do that today. The second question to ask is, how does this encourage me to obey Jesus? How does this encourage me to trust Jesus? How does this encourage me to obey Jesus? That's the point of your Bible. That's the point of the stories. That's the point of the text. Ultimately, trust and obey. For there's no other way, right? We ought to write a song. I've just got one in mind. So let's read the text, and then we're going to answer those two questions today. And I hope this trains you how to read your Bible. But at the same time, I hope it gives you hope in the midst of darkness. Samuel 3, 1 through 21. Now the boy, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, listen to the description of Eli. See if you get the bigger picture here of what's going on. Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I didn't call, lie down. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I didn't call you, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he arose and went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli finally perceived the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. 
Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors to the house of the Lord. What a beautiful phrase. Open the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him see. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew. And the Lord was with him, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Lord, would you teach us this morning from your sacred writings, your gift to us to teach us to help us to trust you, Lord, and to obey you in the midst of the spiritual darkness in which we live and work and minister. Lord, shine the light of Christ. Exalt him in our eyes this morning. Capture our hearts. Reveal him to us that we might trust in Jesus and obey him all the days of our life. It's in his precious and holy and glorious name we pray. Amen. All right, so two questions. How does this lead me to trust in the Lord, Jesus? And how does this lead me to obey Jesus? Jesus' name ain't even mentioned in this text. Are we just sticking Jesus in there? Are we just making this up? Or can I show you how this works? It works like this. First of all, to trust in Jesus, to see Jesus in these texts. As I said, Luke, Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus. He said, all the scriptures were talking about me. I fulfill all of them. They've been about me. And so what we need to understand is seeing Jesus in these texts is, is a little challenging. It's a little harder than seeing what's directly in this smaller text that we're reading. But it's just like any other great work of literature. If you have studied great works of literature, they're, they're works of art. There's layer upon layer of, of meaning and depth. You don't just read it once and go, oh, that was nice. You read it, and then you read it again, and you read it again, and you start connecting dots. You start seeing themes. You start seeing threads that run through all the scriptures, and you see, wow, this is an incredible work of art. And then this goes beyond that because it's inspired by the word of God, by the, the Holy Spirit who brings us greater depth of understanding as we learn the skill of reading the word of God. And so when we come to this text and we've read over and over and over, we start to see the themes. But let's think about you're reading through the text. You're reading through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua, and the Hebrew Bible would then be Samuel. And so what did we read in Judges? What did we see in Judges? The very last section, the very last phrase in Judges is 21-25. 
in those days there was no king. What is Samuel all about? In those days there was no king in Israel. And why? What was the problem? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, if you just read Judges, if you want a little summary, go to Judges chapter 2, and you'll see what Judges is all about. Judges is about the people getting in dark days because they were all doing what was right in their own eyes, and God in his grace would bring them a ruler called a judge, which is like a king. It was a judge, and as a judge led them to do one thing, which was what? Trust and obey God. Get back to your word. When the judge would lead the people to do that, you would see everything got bright. The sun would rise spiritually. And then the judge would turn bad or there'd be a new judge that come and a generation would rise that did not know the Lord and they'd get away from God, get away from his word. They would sin and disobey God and they would pummel down into darkness again. And that's judges. It's a real fun book to read over and over When they followed the Lord, it went well, and when they didn't, it got ugly. And that's the cycle over and over throughout Judges. And it ends with this sense of the need, a king, a ruler, a judge, someone that would point them to the Lord to obey. But at that time, it closed with that sentence. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes instead of what was right in God's eyes. And this mirrors our lives. We follow that same pattern. You know what it's like. You get away from the word of God. You get busy. You get obsessed with something or you get dark and worried and you get get away from God and you get away from his word and we see that cycle. And then we read chapter two of about Eli and his sons after Judges. You get to this. Well, you get to Hannah and Hannah is a picture of this like Israel, the remnant that was faithful through no fault of their own who were caught up with the punishment of Israel, though they were a faithful remnant, they were barren spiritually. And they were longing for God to provide the Messiah, the Son. That's what Hannah pictures for us. Through no fault of her own, she's barren physically and longing for a child. And this is the beautiful work of literature. This is how God's word works. But then you get to Eli, the priest, and he is sinful. His, sins are, his sons are sinful. And so we start to see there's this bigger picture going on. Deuteronomy ended with this statement. Someone wrote about the times. They're still not a prophet like Moses. We're still looking for a prophet like Moses. So who is this prophet like Moses? The scriptures is raising the question, who is this prophet like Moses? Well, in Genesis 3, he's described as the serpent slayer. In this scene where the serpent slithers and tempts them to stop trusting and obeying God, and they sin, and it gets dark, and then God says, I've got grace for you. There will be one who will slay the serpent who tempts to sin. And we see that we're looking for this serpent slayer who's a prophet like Moses. In Genesis 12, we're told he'll be the promised, he'll be, he's promised he'll be the son of Abraham. He will come from a specific family of all the families on the earth. God tells us he's going to come from this family. He'll be a prophet like Moses. He'll be a better prophet than Moses, but he'll be like Moses. And then we get to Joshua. He'll be one like Joshua who conquers all the land by obeying this word 
this word that you should meditate on day and night for then you will be prosperous. Joshua 1.8. He'll be the ultimate judge like none you've ever seen, these judges, Joshua judges. And he will finally be the king that, that we need, that we're longing for. And so then we come to Samuel where we study now looking for this Great judge, this prophet like Moses, this serpent slayer, this seed of Abraham, this, this priest that is better than Eli, the one who will intercede between God and man. And if we keep reading, we get to this larger picture of the prophet saying, there is a day where this great prophet, this great peace, priest, this great king, this ultimate one will come and he will do a new work, a better work than God did with Moses in the old covenant. A new covenant, a new people will establish God's kingdom on this earth forever and ever. And then Matthew says, the good news, which is what gospels are, his name is Jesus. He's here. And Matthew attributes Isaiah's words, that this, the words of Isaiah 52, the people dwelling in darkness will see a great light. On them a light has dawned. Matthew says, that's Jesus. The gospel of Matthew applies the prophet's words of Isaiah 52 to Jesus. And so we live in a day with the complete Bible that makes it clear that Jesus came. He was the light that comes into darkness. He's the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, the seed of David, the seed of of Abraham, the prophet like Moses, that like Joshua, like every good one we saw, but he's the ultimate one, and he is the hope of the world. He has gone to the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back. And so as we wait for his return, and it gets dark and depressing, and you think all hope is lost, what do you do? You open your Bible, and you see Jesus. That takes a lot of work. But I want you to know, I'm not just sticking Jesus in this text. This text is a part of your Bible, and your Bible is all about Jesus. Amen. And he says, that's your hope in the midst of your spiritual despair. As we come in week in and week out, we have one need, to trust Jesus. What does that look like? Well, I, don't, I mean, we don't just come in here each week and say, all right, this is about Jesus, Jesus, all right, go. What's the next stage? Next, we learn how does this text teach us to obey? How does this help us to understand what does it look like to trust Jesus in my everyday life? Let's briefly work through this text, considering the characters in the text and what the author is doing in the story to shape these real events, but to shape them in a way to give you good and bad examples and to teach you this is what, we, we're, our job as readers is now to get caught up in this story about Samuel and Eli and relate with the characters and learn the lessons that the author wants us to say, wants us to learn. So let's look, consider Eli in this text. Do you notice the description of Eli? How, how is Eli described? 
he becomes this embodiment of darkness, if you will. In the previous verses, remember when Eli was considering what Hannah was doing in the, temp, in, in the place of worship and she was praying to God and he seems kind of dim, like he doesn't realize she's praying, he thinks she's drunk. And that was the beginning of us to realizing, okay, Eli is, is not, doesn't have spiritual discernment. Here he's described with his eyesight is growing dim. He can't see, the text says. He is, where is he, where is he spatially located? He's located away from the ark. The ark is the presence of God. How do I know that? Because I've been reading the Bible and it was the presence of God. And so here you've got the presence of God in the ark and you've got this high priest who should be in the very presence of God over here located away from the presence of God with his spiritual darkness setting in on him as he sins. He can't see. He's away from the ark. He's lying in his own place, the text says. Away from the lamp of God or the light of God, living in spiritual darkness because they've gotten away from the word of God. This is what we should identify with. When we get away from God and his word and the people of God, we start to set into spiritual darkness. Now consider Samuel, contrast, because this text is the, is the humiliation of prideful Eli and the exaltation of humble Samuel. Look at, look at verse one again. What is Samuel's situation? Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Anyone ever feel like when they go to work, it's just an environment of sin and darkness? And it does, it's not real conducive to encouraging you to continue to trust the Lord. Eli is the epitome of darkness in this text. And here's this young boy looking to Eli as his mentor. And all he sees is sin. He's wrestling with this. He's struggling with this. And yet he is faithfully ministering day in and day out in this context of darkness. What else does the author say about Samuel in verse 3? Samuel was where? Lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So you have Eli away from the presence of God and you have Samuel laying down in the lap of God in the very presence of the ark. In chapter 2, verse 21, we were also told the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. As we struggle to be faithful, we need to dwell in the presence of the Lord. We need to make it a priority to do whatever we can to dwell in the presence of the Lord. What does that mean? That means set your alarm clock and be here with God's people, singing praises to God, learning from the word of God. It means figuring out your, what works for you to have time at home, praying through the scriptures and reading the scriptures and studying the scriptures so that Christ is lifted up and exalted before your eyes so that you are drawn near to the Lord. As Samuel was in God's presence, what happened? As he did this, he heard the Lord speak three times. This is a picture of God's grace God coming to him not once in his dullness, not twice, but three times, and actually fourth time he comes. And what is Samuel's response? He models for us 
the proper response to hearing God as he reveals himself to us. He says in verse four, here I am. He says in verse six, here I am. He says in verse eight, here I am. That's his response over and over. Here I am. When Isaiah was in the presence of God and he said, who shall send me? He said, here I am. That's the proper response. Anytime you meet God, the one response should be, here I am. And dim Eli, whose spiritual darkness is setting in, he does finally perceive, oh, God is speaking. And he tells Samuel how to respond in verse 9. And here are the words to us today, how to respond to God when he speaks to us through his word. When he speaks to us, we should say of verse 9, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. This is the picture of a humble, trusting, ready-to-obey servant of the Lord. Is that where you are today? Though times are tough, though, though days are dark, though circumstances may be difficult, though you may want to lose hope, have you drifted to where Eli is Or are you at the presence of the Lord saying, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Here I am. Notice in verse 10 how gracious the Lord is. Not once, not twice, not three times, but a fourth time. You see this happening in the text. Verse 10. The Lord came and stood. Who's moving in this text? Where are they going? Eli is drifting away. Samuel is planted in the presence of God, and God is drawing near to him. Calling as at other times, he said, Samuel, Samuel. And if you've been reading your Bible, that's the exact same thing that, the, that was said to Abraham. Exact same thing that was said to Moses. The exact same phrase is now said to Samuel. But an attentive reader sees that and says, this is a big deal. God's going to use this one in a big way. And what did Samuel say? Speak for your servant hears. Before this, Samuel did not know the Lord. We're told in verse seven, he did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So we see the grace of God revealing himself to Samuel. He's drawing near to Samuel because Samuel doesn't know the Lord yet, and the people need a light. The people need the word of God. They need a prophet. And so the bigger picture, God is gracious to Israel, his people, because that's what he's doing here. He's going to establish Samuel as the prophet. He's replanting the word of God in the midst of the people, though they absolutely don't deserve it. Now think about where Samuel is, the challenge he faces. 
Imagine this, this high priest, and here Samuel is just this little boy, just learning, probably 12 years old, just grasping the word of God. And God speaks to him and says, I'm about to judge Eli. And he says, that's your word. That's your message. That's a hard word. Judgment against evil. And what does he do with it? Don't you know he is tempted to say when Eli says, tell me what he said. Ah, he just kind of had a little word for me. No, what did he say? Ah, he just said, you might want to watch the way you're living. It's not what he said. Don't you know he was tempted to water down the truth of God's word? And that's where we face many times, many Many churches, unfortunately, I don't take any joy in this, are sadly watering down the difficult parts of this word. We don't have that right. That does not bless the people. Samuel lay until morning, verse 15 says. Don't you know he did? Eyes wide open, meditate, what am I going to do with this message? This message of judgment against the high priest that's been entrusted to me. So Samuel told in verse 18, Eli, everything. He hid nothing from him. He just was faithful to the word of God. And 15, I love verse 15. Samuel lay into mourning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. That phrase just takes on just this gorgeous, beautiful, the sun is rising, hope is being revealed. He's opening the doors of the house of the Lord by simply being in the presence of God and being faithful to say and do exactly what God says. In verse 19, Samuel grew with the Lord and let none of his words fall to the ground. The Lord let none of his words fall to the ground and he established Samuel as a prophet of the Lord in the midst of the people, in the house of worship. A new day is dawned. God is graciously restoring his presence, his light, his hope among the people. I want you to know this. God is still faithful today. Don't lose hope. God is still carrying out this same plan He sent Jesus who died on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God, the judgment of God on sin. And he's exalted him to the right hand of the Father and he's waiting to come back. And in the midst, here we are living in dark days, waiting for his return, wondering if he's forgotten, wondering where the hope is, where the light is. We're in the last stages of his plan. And he has given you his word. And he is saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Stay close to Jesus. Our greatest need in these darkest days is to lay down in the presence of God and be faithful to the scriptures. Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he 
opened up the curtains. That is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, with full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our, wa- our bodies washed with pure water. That's what Jesus does for us. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see that long day approaching. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth like Eli and his sons, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries of God. Father God, teach us this morning Teach us to trust in Christ, your your word made flesh, the light of the world, the hope in the midst of darkness. Teach us to identify with Samuel, to draw near to you through the blood of Jesus. To repent of sin and darkness like we see Eli and his sons doing. Let us draw near to you, Lord, and we praise you for your your grace that you never fail us, you never leave us, you never forsake us. Restore within us a warmth of your presence that we may see the sun rise again. It's in his name we pray.